We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Lotto. We're continuing to roll on with our positional breakdown series as we try to get you guys through what is the lull of the NFL offseason, the months of June and July. At least we hope. We don't really know for sure if training camp will be back in August, though the expectation right now is that it will be. Time will tell. But in the meantime, we want to break down this roster in depth. We've already tackled the running backs. We've already tackled our wide receivers. and thought, personally, I really liked our deep dive on the receivers. For me, that was when I felt like I really got a good grip for a position group because, A, I feel like I have a better job evaluating the receivers on tape than any other position. I've always felt that way as, as somebody who's kind of still learning the ropes and trying to get used to watching tape and what to look for. Um, and I came across a lot of things that were interesting to me while watching the tape about that receiver group. And I felt a very similar way when I went back and focused on Evan Ingram and focused on Caden Smith and the tight ends who are going to make up the Giants roster in 2020. So that's today's show. It's going to be breaking down the tight ends. Still coming up after the show will be a breakdown of the offensive line, of course. That one's going to be a doozy. Definitely in line for a good one there. We're going to bring on a special guest to break down Daniel Jones and the quarterback, and we'll roll on to the defense after that. But before we dive into the tight ends on the Giants roster heading into 2020, Nick, I wanted to get a little update in the life of Nick Filato, the quarantined life of Nicholas Filato. 
<laughs> Nicholas Mark Falato. Yeah, so the quarantine life is going well. I actually reorganized my room for the uh, second time in quarantine life. And honestly, this was the most optimal way to, to have your room. I don't know what I was thinking for the last four years in this place, but it's irrelevant. As far as the Marshall Thundering Herd, <laughs> they, uh, they went back to the natty. They ended up losing. I was playing most of the game, and I just could not get over the hump. And uh, I haven't really played a lot in the last week or so, but um, I moved the Marshall Thundering Herd to the SEC. So the, it's going to be well, a, an up an up road, uphill battle there for those uh, the boys in green, if you know what I'm talking about. Well, I think some people might uh, know what you're talking about. There are probably some Marshall fans on here, but I, I am curious. What this is NCAA? What what is it again? Fourteen. It's the last fourteen on what system? It's on Xbox 360. Okay, because <laughs> my friend. Uh, shout out Gary Levine, one of my best friends, if not my best friend in life, was dealing with quarantine, similar way to you, bought NCAA 12, an old school 12 for PS3, which I also own a PS3, and has been playing franchise mode as well. He's a Penn State guy. He finally got them to and won the national championship in his fifth season. And just we've had some conversations uh, on a few hikes and whatnot and just talking here, here and there. And he's convinced me to buy the game. So I have purchased NCAA 12 from eBay. It was an $11 purchase. It's coming here on Thursday, I hope, this Thursday. I'm pretty excited to dive in and start a Wisconsin Badgers franchise because I got a lot of ideas for how I want to run my offense. I got a lot of ideas for how I want to run my defense. And I got a lot of ideas for how I want to run my recruiting process. I'm extremely excited to get going on it. It's literally everything I love to do. It's my favorite game, and I get to micromanage rosters. It's literally as good as it gets. So, And by game, I mean football. I'm not a big Madden guy either, Nick, so... For me, the biggest hump will be getting over my tendency to throw interceptions. In all football video games that I've ever played, Nick, I've been very, very interception heavy to the point where I usually have to tailor my offenses around the run game for the sake of just not turning the ball over. I mean, these five-minute quarter games or four or five minutes, whatever you want to play, you just can't afford turnovers. And when I throw the football, I turn the ball over a whole lot. So I expect to be a ground-and-pound kind of team. I want to use some pre-snap motion. I want to use some jet sweep. I, I got a lot of ideas right now. You get, you get that hubris, man. I, I do the same thing where I'm like, oh, I could fit the ball into that coverage. And yeah. you just throw it. And then right as you click the button, anybody here who has played Madden or NCAA knows, right as you click that <laughs> button, you're like, well, that's a pick. And you yeah. already like adjust your fingers to like use your quarterback to go try to make that tackle. <laughs> it's, it's abysmal. It's frustrating. But I will be a ground and pound team a lot like the Wisconsin Badgers are anyway. But do expect me, and I'll report back some results, by the way, guys. Don't don't worry. I know you guys are waiting on bated breath to hear about my NCAA trivials and trials with the Wisconsin Badgers football team. But, you know, I'll let you guys know how it goes and how many interceptions I have on a per-game basis. Uh, I'm putting the over-under on 1.4 interceptions per game, and that will be, like, with 15 to 20 attempts or fewer. So, so specific, 1.4. Yeah, 1.4, about a one-and-a-half interception a game. All right, Nick, let's talk some Giants football. That's what the podcast is all about. So the people want, let's give the people what they want. So the tight end position is a really interesting one for the Giants heading into the 2020 season for a multitude of reasons, in my opinion. Um, for starters, from the 30,000-foot view of anyone who's ever watched the Jason Garrett offense, albeit with him as the offensive coordinator of the Cowboys for those years, or when he took over as the head coach and still had his stamp on the offense, believe it or not, he still played a big role especially during the Linehan years, and even last year with Kellen Moore, everyone knows who's watched the Garrett offense that the tight end is a really important component of the offense. And 
the tight end is used a little bit differently in this offense than in other offense. Not only is it a primary read on a lot of plays or the first check down when the verticals for the outside receivers are not there, but at the same time, the tight ends used a lot more in the vertical passing game. And that's something we haven't really seen the Giants tight end from the Giants tight ends since the Gilbride days, the run and shoot Gilbride offense. Martellus Bennett did it best. He was only with the Giants for one year. But if you remember back to that year, they hit him on a lot of seam balls and they also hit Ballard on a couple seam balls. And that's Jake Ballard, the guy who ran, what, a five flat 40? I mean, literally, it had to be high four nines. And then Kevin Boss with his 4740, another guy who was used vertically on the seam ball. So this is not uncommon to NFL offenses, but as teams have moved forward toward the more West Coast offense, and as the Giants have with Ben McAdoo and Pat Shermer, two guys who really wanted to get the ball out fast, under 2.5 seconds, and on these crossers and in the mesh game, and really we've seen a disappearance from the tight end vertical, the tight end up the seam uh, on the Giants roster, Nick. But do they have the personnel to do it? We sure as hell hope because Evan Ingram runs a 4-4-40 flat. I mean, you saw the tweet I, I sent the other day. from Jen, uh, I retweeted Daniel Jeremiah. Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks uh, took every team's base uh, personnel and 11 personnel. And, and we went over this in the last pod, but we'll do it again. 11 personnel means uh, three wide receivers on the field, one running back, one tight end, the rest QB offensive lineman. It's literally what NFL teams use on over 70% of their snaps. Um, so it's basically the base these days and using the 40 times for 11 personnel, the giants are actually the fastest team in the NFL, largely probably skewed by the fact that Evan Ingram ran a four, four, two, and that ain't just tested speed. Anyone who watched him catch that, uh, that crosser against the Tampa Bay bucks and house that football knows that that's real. That's real four, four, two speed from Evan Ingram. Now, do you think that Evan Ingram can finally break out. We've been calling the breakout for years, Nick, but we're going to start this podcast with Evan Ingram because obviously the 30,000-foot view, as I said, was Jason Garrett wants to use his tight ends a lot more often in the passing game. Jason Garrett also wants to use his tight ends a lot more often vertically in the passing game. The Giants did not draft a tight end. The Giants signed one tight, signed a couple tight ends, both heavy, big, tall, lengthy, blocking tight ends. They brought back Caden Smith. We're going to get to all that, but Ingram, by all you know, all accounts is likely to be this number one tight end, the guy who plays by far and away the most snaps when they're in 11 personnel. So can he finally reach that potential with Jason Garrett in this offense? I hate to use this as a cop-out, but it really is contingent on his health. If he can stay healthy, I think the sky is the limit for Evan Ingram. And anybody who has played fantasy football has kind of just thrown their chips into the Evan Ingram side of the table. And they come away disappointed because he comes away with some sort of injury, a foot injury, what have you. But if this man can stay healthy, I think he could be incredibly dangerous in this Coriel-based offense. And any historian of the game knows Don Coriel and look what the Chargers did with Dan Fouts. I mean, Kellen Winslow up the seam. That was one of the biggest plays, using Kellen Winslow as a vertical threat from the tight end position. Evan Ingram has this, has this wide receiver athletic ability, and he's grown a lot as a blocker. And I think if you put him in this offense and what we've seen Jason Garrett do with guys like Jason Witten in the past, I think it could be very dangerous. I think you can see Evan Ingram in the backfield. You could see him split out wide. You could see him as the number two, the number three receiver. You could see him in line. But I think is just going to be much more of a vertical stretch, kind of like what you alluded to, a lot more intermediate game. It's not just going to be little OTBs, little snag routes, little hooks, right. little sticks, like we saw a lot in the Pat Shermer offense. 
I think you're going to see a lot more of stretch. And I think that's going to really stretch or really stress, I should say, the safeties. And it's going to prevent safeties from coming down into the box, especially when you have somebody like Darius Slayton on the outside who also has some speed and the intermediate kind of threats of Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate. And if you can't put eight men on in the box against Saquon Barkley and the Giants offensive line do figure it out under Mark Colombo, then you really have a recipe for a pretty dangerous offense if Daniel Jones continues to take the strides that we hope that he takes. So I think, yes, Evan Ingram, to go back to your original question, I think this is a real huge year for him, but it's going to come down to just you have to stay healthy. And it can't be some, sometimes it's just these fluke injuries with him. And it, it sucks. It really does. But if he's healthy, it's, it's going to be fun, man. It's going to be dangerous. And hopefully he can finally reach that potential that we all hope and know that he can. And we will, I'll dive into the injuries in just a second because I did want to dive a little deeper into that because I don't think it's a cop out, Nick. I think there's a lot of fans who say, fool me once, fool me twice. You're not going to fool me a third time on Evan Ingram. And here's a guy who I called as a breakout last year, Nick. I wrote him up as a breakout this year, a month ago. And I do truly believe that. Remember, though, remember, everybody knows this who's listening to this pod, but I am more injury agnostic than most NFL analysts. I do believe that for the most part, injuries are a massive factor of luck, especially when it's not continuously a similar area like the lower body over and over and the same muscle. And, and you know, this, the tissue injuries, when those start to pile up, which, again, we're going to dive into all of Evan Ingram's injuries since he entered the NFL with the Giants, and we're going to take a look from there. But when those start to pile up, I get a little concerned. And he has had some soft tissue injuries, but they're not all soft tissue injuries. And we're going to dive into that for sure. But I did want to say, I do believe that as he enters the season healthy, Nick, for week one, the installs are already in after a long you know, training camp and the process there. I think the Giants are often and early are going to pepper him up the seam and give him those targets in the vertical passing game because I believe that they will see that as a way the offense will function. They need to open up, like you said, they need to test those safeties. They need to make those safeties realize that, hey— you can't play us a certain way. You cannot play us a certain way to stop Saquon Barkley. You cannot play us like you played the Giants last year, expecting the ball to come out of Daniel Jones' hands every second. And they're going to make it a focal point to use him early and often as a vertical threat. Evan Ingram, man, he's he's what the—think about why the Giants drafted a player like Xavier McKinney. You're trying to get more versatile at that second level at the safety position. Players like Evan Ingram is the reason the NFL is kind of trending in this direction. Because who are you going to guard him with? You cannot guard him with a traditional linebacker. He's too big and physical for a lot of safeties, too. So what what kind of defender do you have to put on him? And there are a lot of NFL teams that don't necessarily have these defenders, like even a Jabril Peppers or Xavier McKinney. I think the Giants are a little bit further along than other NFL teams when it comes to that. So I just think having that speed... That speed that can just really hit the seam and stretch the middle of the field from in line is very, very important and very, very vital because it really forces the defense to use every inch of the field. They have to cover every inch of the field, and that's really, like you said, man, it's going to stress those safeties so bad, and that's what you're looking to do, man. NFL is a game of mismatches, bro. Football is a game of mismatches, and Evan Ingram is one hell of a mismatch at tight end. Well, that's the key here because I think— there has been noticeable improvement, noticeable, because this is something that we talked about a lot with Nick Turchin. 
early in Evan Ingram's days with the Giants, uh, Nick, at least in our estimation, I'm sure you saw a lot of the same. He wasn't the same kind of mismatch because he wasn't doing an excellent job within the first few yards of creating separation. And I thought that that completely changed last season. Maybe it was a function of playing with Daniel Jones. Maybe it was a function of him being fully healthy for the first time to start a season. Maybe it was a function of him just learning and growing as a player. All these guys are going to improve, you know? It was year three for Evan Ingram. That's not, he's still a young player. But he was creating separation, I thought, a lot better. And it started with an 11-catch performance against Dallas where he just totally couldn't couldn't be guarded. He had the week uh, three game where he had six catches for 113 yards, the the 75-yard touchdown breakout. But it's crazy to me, Nick, that despite that unbelievable start where he was fantasy tight end number one, everything, you know, looked like a total mismatch, someone who's going to be the key cog in the offense. He ended this season. This, this to me, this is just so crazy. When I, I saw, I, I, I had to do a double take when we were preparing for this show. He ended the season with just forty-four receptions, four hundred sixty-seven receiving yards, and three touchdowns. Forty-four, four, six, seven, three. That's cr- it's crazy. Like with how considering how dominant he was to start, it's wild to me. But you look at the situation, and after missing a game early with that knee sprain against the Patriots, that was the game he missed and came right back. I don't know if it was never recovered and if his body was compensating. A lot of times, new injuries pop up when your body's compensating for another injury that you're not fully recovered from. But that pedal foot sprain that he suffered, uh, you know, and it and you know, it had him miss that November fourth game to the Cowboys. There was a lot of season left, Nick. There was a whole lot of season that came out of nowhere. That left foot pedal foot sprain, and he never played another game. He wasn't able to push off that foot. To me, that's not a soft tissue injury. I think it's bad luck. I think it's compensating for the sprained MCL. But while we're on the subject, Nick, because again, 44, 4, 6, 7, and 3, after that ridiculously hot start to the season where he was unguardable and just looked like a total mismatch, it's a massive disappointment. So let's go over the injuries Ingram has suffered in his career, and let's try to figure out, you know, is there something we can build on here? Is there, is there a reason to believe that he can get over it and have a fully healthy year? Is my injury agnosticism you know, correct or based in any fact? And so let's take a look. The first injury he ever suffered for the Giants was September 18th, 2017. It was week two, the second game week of his career. He had a concussion. He took a big hit in week two, uh, went through the protocol, didn't miss any time. Then in week 16, he played the entire rest of the season. Finally, in week 16, he had bruised ribs and he was held out of week 17. Now, bruised ribs, week 16 in a season that was lost to Nick. I mean, the Giants were pitiful that year. That was the Geno Smith, Eli Manning year. Um, and there, there was no reason to bring him back. I'm not thinking there was anything crazy. Then 2018, his second season concussion in the preseason came back from it. September 23rd seasons on. That's when he suffers that, that knee MCL grade two sprain. Now this to me was the biggest injury of his career. I believe that the, the injury he suffered, which we're going to get to later in his 2018 season, the second season was a direct result of his body compensating for this injury. Now, if you remember, he missed three games with this MCL sprain. But if you really dig back and remember, it was against the Houston Texans, and anyone who watched this play knows it was a cheap shot by the safety. Ingram was running toward the sideline. The safety could have very, very easily pushed him out with his shoulder, pushed him out at his hip. There were plenty of ways to hit Ingram. Instead, the safety—and and by the way, after the game, several players— 
and then from the Giants, and then several other NFL players who had played the Texans in recent years came out and said that they felt like the Texans were dirty players uh, on the defense. And I'm not going to dive too much more into that, but there was multiple conversations about I think that how was the Texans. Jonathan Joseph that did that hit, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was Jonathan Joseph, and multiple NFL players said they felt that they were dirty. But instead, Jonathan Joseph, or whoever it was, I don't remember fully for sure, dove at his knees, literally helmet to the knee. Helmet to the knee, bang, he has an MCL sprain. Finally comes back. It took him forever. November 25th, he's set to come back, 2018. Feels his hamstring pull in pregame warm-ups, doesn't go against the Eagles, misses the rest of the season. Now, or no, misses the next game and comes back, I believe. He came back at the end of that season. But he was never the same because he was trying to play through that hamstring injury, but still effective. Despite that, still effective. And I think with Ingram, when we look back at that injury history, besides that MCL sprain, it feels like a lot of bad luck. It feels like a lot of injuries compensating for other injuries. And I, I just don't believe that a guy who basically wasn't injured at all his rookie season and had a couple unlucky breaks in a very, very small sample size, just two seasons. I mean, we used to call Frank Gore injury prone. We used to call a lot of guys injury prone that are no longer even close to considered injury prone. You cannot base everything on these small, small sample sizes. And for me, Nick, I'm just not ready to call him injury prone. I'm ready to be fooled again. I really am. I'm 100% ready to be fooled again as well. That's why I thought picking up his his option was just, it was inevitable. You have to pick up somebody this skilled, a former first-round pick. Granted, it wasn't by this regime, but the things that Evan Ingram can do for this offense, I mean, I don't think they should be understated. And you can even point to Pat Shermer. Pat Shermer, I think he's a really good offensive mind. I think we could agree on that, but I yes. don't necessarily think he used Evan Ingram to his fullest potential, and that could be because maybe he was dealing with some of these injuries. But at the same time, like I hope that Jason Garrett utilizes him in an aspect to get him into space, especially when he's lined up against a safety that's a mismatch or a linebacker that's a mismatch because that's what's going to happen a lot on Sunday. There's going to be these mismatches now. Instead, If he's in line there, you could shift your protection somehow and then you could put him out in space so he can operate and use double moves, pivot routes, anything like that against this player who's either athletically inferior or just not as big as Evan Ingram, you can utilize that matchup in space. And I didn't see Pat Shermer do that too often with Evan Ingram. And I think we may see that with Jason Garrett's offense. And I really hope that we do, because I really think that this could be, like like, like I said before, man, this could really be that breakout year. And I just think Daniel Jones, you know, learning a new offense, truncated offseason, all these new, all these things that are coming in, I think he needs a player, a nice safety net like Evan Ingram, to, who... He can utilize in the short to intermediate game, but he can also, you know, use in that vertical attack that we expect to see from Jason Garrett's offense. So I really hope that we see him used in a more creative fashion. And I'll put you on the spot here, Nick, with the exception of, you know, and something we're not going to use all, every time, but with the exception of Saquon Barkley, against, Saquon Barkley against a linebacker or Saquon Barkley maybe matched up against some kind of safety. Is there a single bit, and that and that's not going to happen very often. Is there a single bigger mismatch on a play-to-play basis than when Evan Ingram's on the field, whoever's matched up with him in man coverage? Is there any bigger mismatch? Absolutely not, dude. Especially because he he's in line there, dude. Say you have Evan Ingram, who has come a long way as a blocker, and we have to acknowledge that because if say the defense wants to go with a dollar package or something like that, and say it's like second eight, so it's a run, you could still realistically run the ball in this situation. You're like, okay, you know what? We got to put somebody who has some speed on Evan Ingram. You substitute a linebacker out for a defensive back or something like that. What happens? Okay, we could check out of this play now, and then we can what? We can run the football directly at Evan Ingram's direction. He can block 
pretty well now. He's come a long way as a blocker. So now you run the now you have basically a mismatch advantage and you can create numbers to that side and run to that smaller defensive back. So it's a way that you can totally change your plays because you have someone like Evan Ingram who can block and can run these routes. So it really puts kind of the defense into a position where they have to make some choices. I don't know if our linebackers can cover this guy, but if we do substitute him and they run the football with Saquon Barkley and this improved rushing attack, then we're conceding yardage that way. So I really like the kind of strategic aspect of just having Evan Ingram in the game. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, boxing, NASCAR, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Yeah, Nick, Nick, listen, me and you do this for a living. I've been tracking the NFL for eight years for a living. I know, I feel like I know nickel, nickel D-backs across the board, across the league very well, who will be starting in 2020, who was starting in 2019. I know safeties very well, and I know the linebackers very well, who could be matched up in man, one-on-one against Ingram. And I just can't think of too many teams, I really can't think of too many teams that can match up with Evan Ingram when he's healthy and when he's on the field. So yes, I'm going to fall for it again. I'm going to buy into a potentially a potential season where the injury bug doesn't strike him. He gets very lucky with injuries. Again, this is a guy who wasn't injured in 2017, really. He really didn't. He missed just that one, you know, that... <laughs> That, brib, bru, that bruise rib game, uh, I guess because, you know, you can blame him for whatever, but it's week 17 in a lost season. Now, it's not really missing a game. And he, didn't, and, he, and he also, you know, didn't have these same problems uh, against, what's it called, against an auto miss during his collegiate career. So I'm just not going to buy into a guaranteed injury season. It's just not something I can ever get on board with. A lot of Giants fans have given up on Ingram. A lot of Giants fans wanted him to be traded this offseason. But the fact of the matter is, when you look across the NFL, there's still not many guys that can match up with him one-on-one in any offensive system. And when you combine that with the Coriel-based system we expect from Garrett, with how important a receiving tight end is in the system, and with how important a tight end who can stretch the seam vertically is in this system, to me, the stars just align in so many ways for Evan Ingram for this 2020 season. Yeah, I really just hope it comes to fruition, man. That's really the main thing. And I guess hopefully we have an NFL season to kind of see it all play out, right? Yeah, without a doubt. With that time, time will tell with regards to that. Um, but let's move on to the second tight end, or at least the guy we're going to talk about second. I don't know if he'll end up getting the second most snaps. I think he will, but it's tough to say. Um, depends what kind of offense they're going to run this year. Really, a diametrically different tight end than who will be. You know, the two three on this on this tight end depth chart are going to be completely different players. So let's start with Caden Smith, uh, the okay. player who was on the roster last season, came on strong. Really strong at the end. Finished with 31, 268, uh, 268 yards and three touchdowns, but did most of his work over the final three games of the season. Once, or actually, from basically from when Evan Ingram was out is when he started to really break out. Um, became a really big target for Jones, both in the red zone, down the seam, in the vertical passing game. 8.6 yards per catch, pretty solid, and really just 
one in a lot of different ways in the receiving game. I know you recently did a deep dive on, into Caden Smith's film. So let's talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly with Caden Smith and your expectations for him, both from a snap count standpoint and an impact standpoint and overall for the 2020 season. So I expect to see more 12 personnel. So that means there's going to be more tight ends on the field. Now where it gets interesting is how they're going to utilize some of these tight ends because you do have Levine Toilolo, who's more of a blocking threat, but he's also six foot eight. So he has obviously a gigantic catch radius with Caden Smith. I do feel like he's going to get his run of snaps, but it's also going to be it, he he does have to, I guess, develop as a blocker too. Now, I thought last year in the article, it's the good, the great, and the ugly uh, for Giants Country Sports Illustrated. And for the good, I said Smith, he flashes blocking competency. And I thought it was really on display against the Packers. There were a couple blocks that he threw where he really positioned his body in such an advantageous way against guys like Preston Smith. I think it was two really nice reps against Preston Smith, one against Zadarius Smith, where he was just positioning his body and he kept his leverage down. But that's his biggest issue is he allows his pad level to rise a lot and it really takes away from his core strength and kind of needs to get stronger at the point of attack. I feel like you kind of saw that a little bit in the Bears game. You really saw it in the Eagles game. He was just get, getting beat up by some of the uh, Eagles in t uh, offensive or defensive line, I should say. So there were a lot of uh, reps where I thought he does need to come along as a blocker, but think about rookie tight ends, man. Not a lot of rookie tight ends step in and really have success or even see the field all that often. It really kind of takes them a while to really get up to grips and up to speed and power of the game. Kane Smith was a rookie this year, a six-round pick who gets cut by his original team, and the Giants sign him, and he ends up seeing significant snaps. And he showed enough to me as a blocker to where I'm like, okay, this guy can really develop if he gets a little bit stronger, works on a couple technical things. But then as a receiver, bro, we're talking about a guy who has natural hands, natural leaping ability, high points the ball, secures the catch right afterwards. Like I saw a lot of just natural things. His hands were really soft. He didn't really have many drops on the season. He worked well vertically, worked well in the horizontal quick game. Just, just timing always seemed to be uh, in cue with what Daniel Jones was doing when he, on his stick routes and things like that. So I was came away really intrigued with what he showed as a receiver. It was very natural. It was very fluid. And he's not the best athlete. What do you run, like a 4'9 or something like that at the combine? He's not going to break away with that kind of speed. But he just seemed like a really smart player with a lot of natural receiving skills that can that already show that he belongs in the NFL. And hopefully the trajectory just keeps going up for him. But I really liked what he showed from his rookie campaign. Yeah, I was really, really pleasantly surprised with Caden Smith. Every time I watch the Giants and I go back and look at the All-22, every time I'm more and more impressed with Smith because it's really, like you said, some of it is not easy to just pinpoint stats and say this, even though the stats are okay with him. They're pretty good. It's when you watch him. It's his ability to find those soft spots. It's ability to make catches with his hands. He's a hands catcher, and he has good hands. These are traits you want. He really moves well, too. He's a smooth mover, mover with and without the football. These are big-time traits you want. And then in that vertical passing game, Jones threw him a few seam balls that he had to take a hit on. He had to take a big hit on, and he came down with the football anyway. Another really positive trait. Now, as a blocker, I think that there's probably still work to be done, but there's a base. Like you said, there's still a solid base. Why is that, Nick? Well, Maybe he was a six-round pick. Of course he was. He was a six-round pick of the 49ers last year. They released him. They have a really, really super deep tight end group, so they felt like he was a luxury, not to a team like the Giants. I think a lot of teams uh, could have stood to benefit from you know, making that claim on Smith. I'm glad the Giants were the one who did it, but he comes from Stanford. 
a school that's really, really has produced a lot of NFL tight ends. Does a really good, produces NFL offensive linemen. They have a really tough program. And then they run a lot of big, heavy personnel packages that feature a lot of tight ends on the field at once and, 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 you know, blockers on the field at once. And I think he has that base from playing at Stanford, but I don't think that's going to be his forte. I don't think he'll ever be a blocking tight end, but he has the size and he's, and I think he's a, a, a certainly a competent blocker. Someone who I think could be a better blocker than Evan Ingram for sure. Just simply based on his frame. That's not, there's not much more to it. I think Evan Ingram is actually really a, a very willing blocker and not bad as a blocker, Evan Ingram. I think what he's held back by as a blocker is his length and his frame, to be completely honest. I've always felt that way with Evan Ingram. He gives a lot of great effort in the blocking game, but he just simply doesn't have the frame, in my opinion, to to, to really block on the edge. But that, I don't know if that's the case with Caden Smith. I think there's there, there could stand to be improvement there, especially if his body kind of takes different shape as he moves through his NFL career. So for me, when you throw in all that and then you finally add in the big thing here, which is the rapport with Daniel Jones, which we saw down the stretch, and not, and I am a huge believer, Nick. I've always been a massive believer in rapport. Rapport is a very important thing. When you're playing fantasy football, be very wary of wide receivers who uh, go over to new teams with new quarterbacks. And, and, and the same thing goes for quarterbacks who are playing with new wide receivers in my opinion be very very wary of that and the stats over the course of history bore that to be true so i think the rapport with daniel jones that he was able to build in in you know down the stretch run of the 29th season maybe it may be a blessing in disguise that evan ingram went down it was a lost season anyway for the giants last year and it did now allow jones to develop this rapport with caden smith so for me my question for you would be this we know the giants have evan ingram on the field already we know they're going to want to use a lot of 11 personnel even if they say they're going to want to use a lot of 12, even if they say they're going to want to use a lot of 21, which again features only one tight end, but it'll add a fullback Elijah Penny onto the field. Still, it's mostly going to be 11 personnel. All teams are mostly 11 personnel most of the time. So where does Caden Smith in from a Caden uh, Smith fit in from just an overall snap standpoint? How can they get him involved more? Um, and who would it be at the expense of, or would it not be at the expense of anyone that you think like where, do, where does it happen? How does, how do they make it happen? I do feel like there will be more 12 personnel than what we're used to seeing, but you're right, 11 personnel still going to be the dominant personnel package at the Giants, and like you said, most NFL teams will roll out, and I still think he's going to get like 10 snaps, maybe somewhere around there, just a ballpark in a game. I think on third downs, if you want to roll with two tight ends, you may put both him and Evan Ingram on, say if it's like third and three or something and you it could realistically be a running down you could hit the team with a play action pass and have both Kane Smith and Evan Ingram running around maybe Evan Ingram running a seven Kane Smith a flat something along those lines and they could do uh, route combinations on a on the closed end of the field while the wide receivers are on the back end something like that I, I could see but it's going to be dominated by I would imagine uh, obviously it will definitely have an Ingram but I'm not really sure how Levine Toilolo is going to fix into this that's going to be interesting but I still think he's going to get some snaps every game, and it's going to be in packages like that where it could possibly be a running down, it could possibly be a passing down, and sometimes they'll run the ball, sometimes they'll pass, but he's more of a natural receiver than someone like Levine Toilolo, so they could have him in there. It's also going to depend on how he kind of develops, how he takes to a totally new offense, because he could have been a favorite of Pat Shermer. He's not necessarily a favorite of Jason Garrett, so we have to kind of see how that all works out too. But if anybody wants to go and watch uh, there's one play that really sticks out to me, and that's against the Washington Redskins in Week 16. It was uh, the last play of the game. It was an overtime, and it was just a simple drag route from Caden Smith, who's just off 
of Nate Solder. He's in the two-point stance. And he beats the, I want to say it was a safety. It might have been Landon Collins, actually, at the line of scrimmage. And he runs a just quick drag route right over the middle of the field. And Daniel Jones leads him to a way where it, it could not be an undercut and knocked down by the ground by Landon Collins. But Caden Smith literally reaches out in full stride and plucks the ball in so naturally to win the game, end it, and the Giants get the W. And it's just such a an eye-opening, like, wow, man, that's a catch in traffic. There's a hand coming through. And... He really just shows that receiving skill, man, and that's this is a rookie we're talking about here. So if anybody has game pass, they should go and check that out. It's the last game in week sixteen. Yeah, he's really smooth as a receiver, Nick. I'm I'm pretty excited about Smith. I think he's one of their more under the radar t- uh, prospects on this roster. Someone who could really end up being a lot better than than a lot of people are giving him credit for right now, or or than a lot of people think, to be quite honest. I agree too. I mean, again. He did most of his work with Evan Ingram out, so right. he may be relegated. We might not see him as much if Evan Ingram is healthy, but I still think if he continues to progress like some of us expect, they're going to find ways to get him on the field in situations that are going to benefit yeah. the offense, obviously. they're not just He's not just going to ride pine all the time. And to be fair, as we talked about that rapport with Daniel Jones, last week Daniel Jones organized a bunch of teammates down in Austin, Texas to work out with him. And the guys who were there the most were Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, and Caden Smith. Those were the guys. Those were the big three. Now, Golden Tate made an appearance. Barkley made an appearance. A few other guys made appearances. But the guys who were there, from what I read, the most were Smith, uh, Shepard, and, and, and Slayton. So Smith is definitely doing all the right things. So we'll see what happens there. But the Giants made a sign, a couple signings this offseason, too. They re-signed Eric Tomlinson, who they had on their roster. He was originally a Jet, they claimed. Had on their roster last year for a little. Then he went to the Radars, and now the Giants brought him back. He's a big, you know, for, for sure a, a blocking tight end. I mean, we're talking about someone who's what? I'm trying to get his his, his numbers up. 6'6", six, six, almost 6'7", six, 263. But then they also signed the massive Levine Toy Lolo, 6'8", 270, 268. The, re- the real the real deal blocking tight end. And by the way, Tololo is not that bad of a receiver. When, I, when I've watched him, he's, he's, he's surprisingly decent as a receiver as well. Uh, that's obviously not his forte, but... Signing Levine Toilolo to me signifies the Giants are want to get more physical. They want to get more physical in the run game. They want to get more physical at the point of attack, uh, specifically in the run game, with their 11 personnel and with their 12 personnel. I do believe that we're going to see some snaps where Ingram is lined up as a receiver and they st- and they find a way to get Toilolo on the field. So my biggest question for you is we've talked Toilolo already, I believe, when we went over our free agent signings. I don't think there's too much more we need to dive into unless you've done more film work on Toilolo. I have not. If you have, feel free to share. But my bigger question is how do you see it all fitting in from a schematic standpoint and from a personnel grouping standpoint with Toilolo also in the mix, this true, pure blocking tight end? That's the interesting thing because he's going to be used so much as a blocker, but I think the Giants are going to put him on the field to also help in pass protection as well. Because we've seen, if Nate Solder's going to have to start, and if Nate Solder struggles like he did last year, I think you might see, you know, 12 personnel, but the tight end stays in and blocks. Because if you see Levine Tololo, man, he has really good feet. He's long, he can punch pretty hard, and he's kept up with some top edge rushers in his career in just pass protection. Usually we think of tight ends just in the running phase of blocking, but he's a pretty good pass protector too. So I would imagine that he would be out there, especially if say Nate Holder's really struggling and he's gotten beat like two times in a row. Like we've seen a couple different times this season that kind of just keeps dragging on. You put Levine Toy Lolo next to him, help out. He could chip, make sure Solder has it and release. 
if Solder does not have the guy, he could just stay in and block that entire time and just make sure Daniel Jones is cognizant of the fact that he might not have that check down right there. So it's going to be less people running a route, but it will help protection. Now, that's only if the Giants have as much protection issues as they did last year in 2019. We really hope that does not happen with Mark Colombo, but Nate Solder is still seeing snaps. If he doesn't progress as a player, because a lot of mistakes were just on Solder, if he doesn't progress as a player, that's uh, it's going to be a tall task to have the entire unit because that's what the offensive line is. It's a unit. If you have a weak link, right. it's going to be targeted by defensive coordinators. So if Solder doesn't really step up, then you might see Toy Lolo out there a lot in pass protection. You know, Nick, that's a really excellent point that I hadn't really put too much thought process into before this. You know, I was figuring really the basis and the goal of assigning like Levine Toilolo is to get more physical at the line of scrimmage. Now, as you mentioned, this is a guy who has had success in pass protection. Is that really what they were aiming for when they signed? Because remember, there were so many snaps last year where the Giants were screwed from the from the very snap of the football because Nate Solder got beat clean or because Will Hernandez got beat clean. And this is just under one and a half seconds. I, you know, I went back and I, I posted some of these clips on Twitter this past weekend, but there's just under one second for Daniel Jones sitting there. There's just, there's no possible way anyone who's not anti Daniel Jones could blame that on him, but they'll find a way anyway, but there's no real way when you watch it. Now the question is, can a guy like that help? Because I do think that in the Jason Garrett system, Nick, and this is something we have not seen from a giants offense. God, since I guess since 2013, when Gilbride was last here, because we didn't see it ever with Ben McAdoo. I once did an article on how rare we saw it, and we rarely saw it with Pat Sherman. What I'm talking about is max protect. What I'm talking about is using more players to protect, either six or seven players. Max is seven players, but sometimes six players, which would be Levine Toilolo, uh, in pass protection on a longer developing five or seven step drop. This is kind of a staple concept in the ideals of a Jason Garrett type offense, a Kevin Gilbride, but in the Ben McAdoo Shermer offense, they want every single eligible wide receiver out running routes. That's kind of how you, those offenses work uh, more seamlessly. And there was very little max protect with Pat Shermer, almost never with Ben McAdoo. And I'm curious if that, if, if you expect to see more of that uh, in this Jason Garrett offense. I don't think it's going to be blatant with Max Protect, but I do think you may see it sprinkled in. I think you'll see it with uh, route combinations like the Yankee concept, which is yeah. a deep horizontal cross, and then either a deep streak headed towards the post or just a post route, a deep post. And I think you could see that with either Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, and then Darius Slayton probably running the true vertical route. And you can even have Evan Ingram probably doing that deep horizontal route. That would work too. So I think that we will see a couple. It depends on how the... How the game is kind of coming out it depends on how much pressure the defense is getting. So it depends on a lot of variables that haven't really happened yet. But I wouldn't, I don't think that it's crazy to think that that would be a more common thing. I think it'll definitely be a more common thing, but something that we even see more and you can even recognize it on the broadcast. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that will be. I'm again. I'm not thinking. I'm not here saying they're going to be a max yeah. protect team. It's going to be super rare still. But I think we'll see more situations where the Giants are using more players than they had been, especially since you know the Ben McAdoo, Pat Shermer days, really since the Gilbride days in pass protection. So it'll be interesting to see. It really will, man. And I, I really, I'm also man curious. And I know this isn't the offensive line, but. Andrew Thomas, where he, what side he starts is going to affect this entire thing too. Yes. Especially even with the tight ends and keeping someone like Toy Lolo in on protection. And Toy Lolo, again, to his credit, he's tall. He's six foot eight. He's about two hundred seventy pounds. Right. But he's also solid and run 
run blocking too. I mean, we talked a lot about his pass protection, but he's also a pretty solid run blocker. He can still get low. Obviously, his pad level gets too high, but he has a lot of strength to him too, and he can drive defenders off the ball, not to the level of a tackle, but he is a efficient run blocker, and that's why he's been on so many teams. And I think he was just on San Francisco, so he just went to the Super Bowl, and he's just been around the league. He was with Atlanta for a while, with Detroit, so... That's another thing that we need because, again, I like Evan Ingram. I think he's come a long way as a blocker since he's entered the league, but he's more of a receiver, and that's not you know a knock on him whatsoever. So having one of those really solid blocking tight ends and even a backup one on Eric Tomlinson if he ends up making the team is something that this team could really use in both phases of blocking, both phases of protection. No doubt about it, Nick. Um, no doubt about it. Now, on that note, everyone, we will be diving more into the offensive line on the next podcast. That'll be our next one, diving fully into what Nick just touched on, the Andrew Thomas situation, where a player's going to play, everything in those regards. Anything else you want to touch on on the tight ends before we turn the page? We know, uh, oh, by the way, I didn't want to forget about Garrett Dickerson because he's also back in the mix. Yeah, Garrett Dickerson is is back in the mix. Kyle Markway and then Rice yes. and John. Those are the uh, three that we haven't really touched much on. I think... I think it's safe to say, obviously, Evan Ingram, Levine, Toilolo, possibly Eric Tomlinson and Caden Smith will make the team. I think Toilolo, Ingram, and Smith, it's really fair to say. Yes. But between Tomlinson, who I, I envision will possibly probably make the team, I would say. But Dickerson, Mark Way, and Rice and John, that's where it gets interesting. I think Rice and John's probably going to end up getting relegated to the practice squad. I mean, we're talking about a converted wide receiver who's trying out at tight end who played up at Division II school at Simon Frazier. That's, that's going to be a really tough transition to go to the NFL and try to utilize his strength as in, in, to the tight end position because he was a wide receiver. So that, that kind of transition is going to be really, really tough for the kid. Yeah. He has a lot of athletic ability, and he was a huge threat. But again, it was a Division two school. So I think he's going to end up on the practice squad. And then might come between Mark Way and Dickerson. I don't have much on Kyle Mark Way. He wasn't really used too much as a receiver down there in South Carolina. So uh, I think it's uh, probably going to be a long shot, but we'll, we'll see, man. Maybe he really uh, will right. ball out. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, it, there's more competition than you would expect for a position they really haven't invested much in since the Evan Ingram draft pick. Um, so I think they've done a good job really scouting this position, especially to get Caden Smith in. And I think they could have, did a good job signing to Levine Tolo. I think he'll play a really pivotal role if the Giants are really serious and focused on moving to this vertical-based offense that's going to require a lot more five- and seven-step drops and and more time for Daniel Jones, who was under pressure 42% of his snaps last year, tied for the most in the NFL. It's not going to work if he's under pressure again, tied for most in the NFL in a vertical passing offense. I can let you guys all know that right now. This thing's going to be a total disaster if the off- if the pass production doesn't improve. So, you know, moves like Levine Toilolo signing are definitely mark- signaling the Giants are serious about making this better. Moves like drafting Andrew Thomas, Matt Pert, Shane Lemieux, bringing, bringing Nick Gates up as a potential center. They're, they're serious about improving the offensive line. They know that this is the best way to improve a young rookie quarterback and and let's hope it comes to fruition sooner than expected, even, of course, without, you know, without uh, the, the entire offseason to work with. Yeah, that's going to be the tricky part, too, how all these guys adapt to this new scheme. But Giants are going to be alone in that. There's plenty of teams that are in the right. same boat as the New York Giants. So, I mean, can't really cry over the spilled milk that's going on right now. It's, they're just, it's going to be tough, though. I mean, you can't overlook the fact that this is a brand new head coach and it's it worries me sometimes. It really does. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed our, our latest positional breakdown. If you want to do us a favor, please, please, please follow our new Instagram page. 
Um, shout out Sean Barletta for getting this bad boy going. He's killing it there. We got new videos on the Instagram feed. We got tons of actual posts as well. Clips from the show, breakdowns of some of the stats we talk about on Twitter, everything like that. Um, already, thank you to the 132 of you who have followed NY Big Blue Banter on Instagram. That's NY and then our podcast name, Big Blue Banter. That's how you'll find us on Instagram. Please, please, anyone who listens, give, do us a favor. Follow us on Instagram. And as always, I know you probably already heard this and probably already did it, but rate, review, subscribe, and download the podcast on iTunes. On that note, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. 